Spoilers for all Star Treks everywhere. Hi, welcome to Jumpsuit Utopia. We have an exciting episode today with the drumhead. With me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Ezri. Oh, hi there. Oh, hi. And then we got our regular guest, Tom O'Brien. Chief O'Brien. That's right. Yes. Sorry, Chief. It's it's okay, Ensign. I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> and then we have Tiberius. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. What's all this going on, man? <laughs> Yes, Tiberius, of course, from across the pond. Yeah. In, uh, in California. Yeah, yeah, far in a different country, California. Yeah. The country that is on Oh, fire. might as well be. Yeah. I thought it was Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Sorry, oh, yeah. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's our job. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to uh, talk Dick about... Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> you, know, the, you know the word that really sticks out to me in that is van... <laughs> is that like where you is that where you like yeah you you steal you steal you kidnap somebody or is it more like dicks. they're they're wearing you're doing it in a van or they're wearing pants what, which one was it you so in 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 my mind you have like a you know a society for cutting up men van where it's just a bunch of dykes rolling around stealing dicks and that's uh and that's my story so boom nice yeah i could dig it boom Anyway, we're here to talk about the drumhead, so... Yeah. T-N-G, baby. T-N-G. Mm, yeah. Dynamite. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, T-N-G is the, you know, it's the Coca-Cola classic, even though there's technically another classic. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> right? Uh, the original show was just a, the original series was just a pilot for the actual good <laughs> 90s series. I mean, it's true, actually, because so much of the canon is like... So much of the canon is not there in TOS. Like, they don't even say... They say, they call Spock a Vulcanian. And they call the Klingon language Klingonese. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I mean... They talk about markets and capitalism occasionally. They talk about markets. And World World War Three happens in the 90s. Yeah, um, that had to get retconned, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll be a TOS defender and be like... There's no other show from that era that like holds up like anywhere near as well. Like maybe the Twilight Zone. And it's a lot kind of like the Twilight Zone where it's like a spooky adventure every week. Yeah, Twilight Zone, I love Lucy and Star Trek. And yeah. I love Lucy. Twilight debatable. Zone had a lot less uh diplomacy via hot beef injection. <laughs> you know, oh I haven't God. seen Kirk fuck a a lot of people in season one. No, Kirk's reputation actually makes TOS sound worse than it is, honestly. Um, he is... he. I mean, he sometimes does some, like, misogynistic shit, but it's, like, yeah. very mild compared to, like, what happens in in that era when, like, they would, like, literally spank women on screen. Like, adult women. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to depict an enlightened future, and, wow. I don't know. TOS Defender has logged on, but whatever. I've, I've, I've only seen, like, I don't know, a third of it, so I'll shut up. <laughs> I've, I've actually seen the, the entire series, uh, but I never watched a single episode of the original series until I was 25. Yeah, same. So I, I came same. to that quite late. Yeah, same. 
I mean, yeah, I think I got you beat at 30, so. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's kind of funny that this is like, this is the series that has, I don't know, it'd be like if the prequel trilogy was like the canonical Star Wars, like, you know, mainline shit. I don't, it's just like a, I, kind of a weird thing about Star Trek. Well, it definitely got stopped up. Go, go to Reddit, r slash prequel memes, and, and you'd think it would be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but those those poor delusional kids, I don't know. It's maybe just hard to deal with the idea that Mickey Mouse does it better than the creator. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, now that no Star Wars fans are listening. Yeah, um, Star Wars Defender has logged off. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars BTFO, let's do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Star Wars Star Wars sucks. Like, come on, like, when I was a kid, like, I loved Star Wars, my favorite film, all that kind of rubbish. Like, you look at it now as an adult... And it's just rubbish. Like, the only thing it had going for it was some charismatic actors in, like, Harrison Ford and um, Princess Leia's... What's her name again? Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. But they had actually good lead characters. And apart from that, it's just gobbledygook. It's just, like... It's just a kid's film. It's a fucking kid's film. Get over yourselves. I'm going to put it like this. Star Wars sucks, and and I like it. And this was confirmed for me when I saw the... uh, the final one in, in the uh, sequel trilogy. And I was like, that was like a really mediocre movie, but I enjoyed it. Like, yeah, uh, I wish I didn't have to stick to the rule of, rule of threes with that because, um, I don't know, like the, the last movie was like rushed. Like it was, there's just so much going on, like so fast. It's like, Oh, spoiler happens. Jesus Christ. That, that happened quickly. Fuck. And then, um, <laughs> I've heard arguments too that the movies outside of like the main se- like Skywalker like series, um, starting with Anakin and you know, arguably with the se- sequel series like when, you know Ho- Ho- Solo, The Mandalorian, the the, the stories oh, man. that Rogue that are, One, Rogue One, Rogue One was amazing. Yeah, all the stories that are told not about that main story but just in that universe are way more interesting. Um. Yeah, because they don't have, like, the pressure of, like, oh, God, I need to make a cinema classic. Like, right. beating down on their backs. Anyway. So, so, thanks for coming to our Star Wars podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe if you want us to cover uh, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyway. Yeah, J.J. Abrams ruined Star Wars like he almost ruined Star Trek. <laughs> hey, that, that that's that's complicated because the first before we had disco we before we got, were entered into the new golden era the second golden era of star trek we had the jj movies i mean uh so i don't know if it's in spite of jj or because of jj but i like that first jj abrams movie except that he put bud light in the future jj gets the wall for that like <laughs> there's true. no bud yeah, light and the second one the second one is i think i noted in the server is, is star trek wrath of jajabrams yeah that 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 one sucked like the third one was kind of fun but yeah the first you know what like i have this like super cute like uh car mechanic come look at my car and i i'd like a dork i had some kind of like starfleet insignia on my shirt and she was like oh yeah i saw that movie that, that was great <laughs> I was like, oh, are you going to watch the new Picard series? And she's like, nah, I just saw that movie. <laughs> so, I fe- so I feel like, you know, the JJ track did its job. Okay, people know what the Starfleet insignia is. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, twirling my hair. We know what it is, but do we know what it means? 
know. That's what we're here to find out today <laughs> on Jumpsuit Utopia, examining TNG, the drumhead. Huh? Huh? Wow, what a segue, Pam. What a segue. That's why you the big bucks. I'm going to, yeah, that's why I get paid the big, big bucks to do this. That's why it almost makes half our rent. <laughs> no, this podcast doesn't <laughs> contribute at all to that, actually. Yeah, that's true. Rip. Anyway. I thought... I thought you said big butts. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This is what nets us the big butts. Is the segues in our Star Trek podcast? <laughs> no, what nets me the big butts is estradiol. Anyway, yeah, boom. Um, <laughs> so we have a leak of Federation intel to the Romulans, the nefarious enemy of the Federation. Yeah, I would say this episode starts in media race, except it's like an inquiry. So I don't know if that counts as. In media race. I think it's just in the middle of like a scene, basically, in the middle of the action or whatever. Right. So we start off where they're interrogating this Klingon. His name was Ladan, Lieutenant Ladan. Jadan. Sorry. Whatever. Fucking Klingon names. Jadan. We're calling him Jadan. You got to get that glottal stop in there. Jadan. Jadan. I don't know if there's actually two D's in his actual name. It's no, spelled differently. There's fucking two D's in the, in the IMDb things. So. I guess, well, I mean, Klingons have two D's. It's canonical. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Just go bonk, go to Horny Jail. <laughs> <laughs> and go to the Horny Brig. Yeah, the Horny Brig. <laughs> um, anyway, the, this Klingon exchange officer is being interrogated. There is a computer terminal hacked. They have proof that it was hacked. They have proof that it was him, but they don't know how the data got smuggled out and how he did it being an exchange officer. Yeah, there's also this like explosion on the hatch in the warp core. Mm -hmm. And they do this like interrogation of him. Worf is flexing and Jadan admits he smuggled the information, but he's like, yeah, I had nothing to do with that explosion. Yeah, he admits to that, and uh, because there's this, there's still the issue of the warp core hatch being blown up, and Deanna Troy, who's an empath, can sense emotions, doesn't sense any deception out of him. They're really concerned that there's another saboteur who aided this Klingon and helped him get the data off, or they're at least concerned, like, well, if he didn't do the warp core, or we think he didn't do it, then who did? So Admiral Satik, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Satie. Admiral Satie, you know, Satie. F- famous for her small little uh, piano pieces that are nice little furniture music. No, I don't know. That's, that's a terrible, it's a terrible romantic music joke. Anyway, please continue. Admiral Satie is called out of retirement to help with the investigation. And so she comes with an entourage of another Betazoid named... Sabin? Sabin, yeah. And this alien girl who is constantly typing on her pad <laughs> she's just like on her phone like taking notes like the entire time just like staring in picard and getting in his bubble and just like writing down everything he says she has this weird look on her face she reminds me of a bad janet from the good place <laughs> it's like what you know like i don't fucking care kind of whatever like constantly tapping on her anyway <laughs> i thought she was a pretty good send-up of like that old 50s stereotype of the secretary oh yeah yeah, like the secretary stenographer. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. When Jadon cracks and admits to stealing the data, he basically opens up and is like, look, since we aligned with the Federation, we've become cucks. <laughs> the Roms are bulls. We need to be more like the Romulans. <laughs> and so that's why he's stealing Federation data to aid the Romulans. And basically, 
In the grander context of Star Trek, the alliance between the Federation and the Klingons makes them the most powerful powers in the galaxy because they have each other's backs. They're both already quite strong alone. So that keeps the Romulans in check. Yeah, and the Alpha Beta Quadrant, like, they got it unlocked together. Right, right. And so they figure out how Jadon was able to smuggle the data. Basically, he used some data encryption hyposyringe. He, he scanned the chips with this, like, electronic bit and then injects a, a sequence of amino acids, which can be decoded to the, the Starfleet data, which is, like... That rules. That's so fucking wild. I love this. So, Nora Sati, who's the admiral, is, like, Starfleet uh, royalty because her father is, like, hot shit. Judge Aaron Sati was, like, required readings at the Academy. Picard obviously got a lot out of reading this stuff. I don't know. It's, like, John Rawls or James Madison or some bullshit. Anyway, like, Nora Sati and her brothers had to do, like, dinner table debate theater combat. That judge sounds like a fucking nightmare father. Yeah, that sounds, that actually sounds horrible. (laughs) And it sounds like it kind of fucked up his daughter. Yeah. She feels like she has to live up to her father's standards and defend the Federation because it's this grand, noble thing, you know? Yeah, social experiment. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so anyway, we they start to interrogate other people to figure out who was helping Jadan. And so they interview a crewman, crewman Tarsus. Simon Tarsus. Simon Tarsus. Oh, yeah. Uh, he is a, what is it, a medical assistant, medical technician. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, medical technician is what they call him. Yeah, he gave Jadan his shots, you know. He's a nurse on the front lines. He should be wearing some PPE. <laughs> so when they're interviewing him... The male Betazoid Sabin thinks that he is lying. He senses some deception from Tarsus. And based on that, Admiral Sati wants to restrict his movements and keep him from accessing sensitive areas in the ship. Oh, and put him under constant surveillance. Yes. And the card is rightfully upset by this. He refuses to do this, but then Animal Sati brings up the point like, well, if Deanna Troy told you someone was suspicious and lying, wouldn't you act on that? He's like, yes, but maybe I should examine that behavior. Yeah, you have a psychic, you know, naked marriage person like (laughs) on your ship. Don't you use her in interrogations? Wouldn't you trust her at her word? This kind of brings up an interesting question that I was thinking about while watching the episode. When you're doing like fair trials, do you have to bar telepathic races from being lawyers or being prosecutors evidently not right like yeah i guess not i mean that would be kind of fucked up to bar them but also like if they can tell you're lying well the nightmare situation is that you just have one betazoid lawyer who's just like totally craven and could just be like oh i'm reading your thoughts yeah you're totally fucking lying and and they're lying and there's no one to check right like that that's the the black pill scenario that's why you need two Betazoids. That's right. And a third one to keep them honest. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. Just, it's just yeah. Betazoids down the line. Yeah, you need... All the way down. You need a psychic triangle. Horizontal gene transfer. Make everybody a Betazoid. <laughs> yeah. Well, genetic manipulation seems to have led to something called the eugenics wars in oh, the yeah. 1990s. So they frowned upon Yeah, that, that was a minor plot point in Disco, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Let's be honest here. Betazoids, they're, they're really just like Scientologists. <laughs> <laughs> they have an E-meter and it goes, ooh, oh, I think he's lying. <laughs> That's oh what they I kind of doubt Scientologist weddings are as cool. Like, do Scientologists get naked at their weddings? I'm guessing not. 
What I thought was actually interesting about this is that after John McCain confronts Picard <laughs> about, like, don't you use Betazoids? He's like, I do. And I might have to rethink that now. Yeah. And I was like, that's an interesting way to frame that, to throw hypocrisy in the guy's face and like have him go, maybe it wasn't a good thing that I've been doing this and have him at least momentarily kind of struggle with that. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, which is which is kind of why I like Picard as, as a character. Mm-hmm. He's reflexive um, in a way that like, or reflective rather, in a way that like a lot of sci-fi protagonists aren't they're just like oh i'm fucking right let's blow them up (laughs) he's an ethical guy he's an ethical guy but like he he shoves his own issues down too much and it comes out sideways in picard he's a flawed human being that doesn't know how to reconcile his like deeply patriarchal attitude with his uh, ideological commitments to utopia right Mm. he is clearly the most committed to the utopian ideals out of all the starfleet captains but strangely, he's also one of the most like liberal characters in all Star Trek, in in like the classical sense. I think Janeway is also along the same. I say Janeway is in, along the same lines, except she kind of loses touch with that a little bit in, through Voyager because yeah. she's isolated. Yeah, she gets lost in the Alpha Quadrant. It's like, all right, just fucking throw throw that guy in solitary. Fuck it. Yeah, I don't know what to do. Yeah, she gets really fucking hardcore. <laughs> yeah, she can't grow a mustache, but certainly she gets a little Iron Lady. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the drumhead, Picard puts his foot down and says, we're not going to monitor Crewman Tars. We need concrete evidence that he's involved in a plot, not just Betazoid intuition. Yeah. And then it, while they're, while, right after Picard puts his foot down and they're kind of like button heads about this, they get a call from Jordy and Data, who are in engineering. And it turns out the reason that the hatch exploded was because of a manufacturing error, which they were convinced it wasn't at first. There was an undetectable neutron damage in the hatch. Oh, I, I don't know. Which yeah. I'm, I'm studying chemistry right now, and I just gotta say, like, <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. It, re- it really makes Star Trek just that much better, huh? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sci-fi gobbledygook. Yeah. I really do. And, like, the less connected it is to reality, the more entertaining it is. <laughs> You're not enraptured by the way warp theory is technically compatible with uh, physics as we know it? No, I couldn't give less of a shit. <laughs> oh, that, that, you see, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Because I want to be on a warp, warp-capable starship. We were watching an Adventure Time episode that had George Takei in it. <laughs> and there's, like, a scene where his character and Princess Bubblegum are just talking about complete made-up fake science. And it's totally a Star Trek nod. Um, so yeah, there's like some neutron damage on the hatch, and that's why it blew. So it turns out that it was an accident after all. So Picard kind of is like, nah, that settles it. There was no other conspiracy. And Admiral Zati's like, nah, there's a conspiracy, dude. Like, just fucking watch. And so they go full McCarthy on the Enterprise. They open up these, what do they call them? Like, they're not trials, even though they basically are. Yeah, they're like these, these like public interrogations. Basically, Sati convinces Picard that, well, we just want to establish his innocence, you know, for his sake. Right. And um, doesn't mention that she's going to make it a, like a public show trial. <laughs> like, and it's, you know, quote, not a trial, but it totally is. It totally is, yeah. Yeah. So um, they open... They, they do this uh, show trial, starting with Crewman Tars, 
And Tarsus. Tarsus, yes. And the whole fucking room is full, and Picard doesn't realize that this is going to happen until he walks in. Picard appointed Riker as counsel to Tarsus. And they start grilling him, and then they lie about why the hatch blew and say that they found some chemicals that are available to people who work in the sick bay on the hatch. Yeah, they're totally craven in how they, like, grill him. Are you now, have you ever been a member of the Romulan Senate? Right. <laughs> just, like, going after him. They're basically just like U.S. cops, where they can lie in your interrogation. Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh my god, yeah? Yeah, totally. Then they also pull up his records and find out that he lied Ooh. about his Vulcan heritage. You know, he has the pointy ears, so he they make a point earlier in the episode to uh, explain that he has a Vulcan grandfather. Yeah, he's like a quarter Vulcan or yeah. something. He just inherited the ears. Yeah, and they're like, I see that, which is, like, nice. <laughs> yeah. Re- real enlightened, Sati. Yeah, she's clearly a little bit of a racist. Yeah, it's, it's a bit racialist, isn't it? Um... But then they find out that it wasn't a Vulcan grandfather, it was a Romulan <gasps> grandfather. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah, he, he, pulled a, he pulled a race grift, and he pretended to be Vulcan when he was really Romulan. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I don't know, I guess in this context, it's actually sort of in reverse. This isn't like the Rachel Dolezal thing. This is more like you're trying to pass as a more acceptable race, so that you don't get excluded. Yeah, there's more than a whiff of uh, yellow peril going on in this episode. Oh, yeah. 100%, yeah. You know, I did want to talk about how much racism in, like, the Star Trek species as race kind of sense plays a big role in this episode. At first, we have a Klingon who is, you know, afraid of getting cut by the Lib Federation. I love that scene right before the intro where he's, like, trying to bribe Worf to be like, come on, man, you know, it must be really hard not getting your, you know, honor wet, you know, like... You got. You should. Uh, you should uh, come over. You know, like. Uh, you know, just help me out. Get me on a shuttle and. Warp just like punches him in the face. <laughs> yeah, he just like throws a fucking back fist at the guy. It was so epic. Yeah, it rolls. He's like, "Fuck you." <laughs> yeah. Give him a give him a good Vulcan hello. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then uh, you have this crewman who is skewered over having Romulan blood. So yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of that yellow peril kind of flair as we've talked about before like the romulans it's like a lot of weird orientalists to them but they play it well this episode by making out like federation people who are getting into that yellow peril kind of bullshit making them out to be bad people basically yeah it's like half roman and half like japanese yeah with them and it's yeah sort of an asiatic despotism kind of like romulans thing i was trying to think of like an example of what this would be it would be like hey you applied to the navy and you said you were mexican but you're actually iraqi what's the deal with that like right when you think of it like that it's like oh man that's uh that's super fucking racist (laughs) this is this is bad yeah and then like harping on you you lied on your application you're really the enemy right and then so um as he's getting getting grilled about this, Riker stands up and like walks over to him and whispers in the crewman's ear. And the crewman pleads the fifth or invokes ple- the seventh <laughs> guarantee. He pleads the seventh. He pleads the seventh, yeah. which is, is a reference to the United Federation of Planets Constitution. And it's basically the Fifth Amendment. I think this is just where it's established. I don't. Th- I've never heard of this before. Yeah, I don't think it's talked about since then either. So, Tarsus pleads the seventh. And then 
They call a recess, and there is a scene between Worf and Picard. And Worf is is drinking the Kool-Aid. Worf is, like, all about seeking out the enemies. And Picard's debating him about this and explaining this is becoming a drumhead, which just basically means a military show trial. Yeah, which I didn't know. I I didn't know either. It's kind of like, yes, this is a drumhead. This is like the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Or (laughs) maybe like the Purges or something. You know, it, yeah, it was kind of surprising that they didn't invoke the like Soviet Union and other like show trials from like communist governments. But by that point, the Soviet Union recently collapsed, so doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, you know, whatever. They don't always have to be like, ah, oh, yes, I'm a keen observer of the 20th century. You know, they, no, for sure, they don't always have to Tom Paris it up and be like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of something that the audience has living memory of. That's true, but what I mean, where else would there have been? A, there wouldn't have been a drumhead anywhere in their time time scale not after the united earth is formed i suppose not but this episode makes the case that maybe there is sometimes maybe i guess i guess i would i I thought of it as like a kind of abstract reference to maybe like the civil war for some reason it's just kind of a vibe i got yeah like the war of 1812 or some kind of like old shit with you know drummer with like fucking fucking drummers Drummers. yeah in the military yeah what? Yeah, I mean, he did He did call it 19th century. Yeah, right? okay, there it is. That's right, that's why I thought of the Civil War. Makes sense. Worf is like, nah, we gotta go hard. And he has this quote that that's always stuck with me the first time I watched it, and this time. He says, sir, the Federation does have enemies, we must seek them out. Yeah. And, you know, it sends chills down Picard's spine, and mine. Yeah. So, Sati talks about herself talks to Picard about how she has given up her life to the cause of preserving the Federation. She has no friends, no home. This is her whole life. God, yeah, she's a real, you know, she's one of those people that's always on the executive committee of the, you know, daughters of the UFP or whatever interest group. And it's just all about like organizing meetings and it's probably super into Robert's rules. But it's figured out how to, like, game it every time. Yeah, case study of brain rot uh, in regards to, like, institutional warship. Yeah. I mean, because, like, th- through this entire episode, it really hammers home that she's essentially, like, worshipping the institution of the United Federation of Planets. Mm. And it doesn't really matter what that stands for or what that means. It is only the institution that she is interested in, like, maintaining and perpetuating. And anything in order to maintain that institution, in order to to maintain that status quo, is acceptable, even if it is deleterious to the actual, like, purported mission statement of the institution itself. Yeah. It's an interesting way to frame, like, the reactionary mindset that, that a lot of people can fall into yeah you're totally right it also kind of plays into like a a little bit of an anti-political point when a person subsumes all aspects of themselves to a political cause you end up like this kind of person creating witch trials and and being paranoid and in this case racist and i think this is a thing that can happen this is like a right-wing example of that of like you know we got to preserve this institution that was handed down from our fathers you know I've never felt like the UFP was more like the United States than when Admiral Satis talked about it. Yeah, and she's whinging about it. Although I will say that, like, Picard has similarly given his life to the Federation. And basically his friends are his workmates. And with the broader scope of his character that we see, like, mm-hmm. the, like his personal pleasures are, you know, quiet and few. 
And he's really all about the Federation. But with Sati, like Tiberius was saying, it's all form over content. Picard is super serious about the content of what the United Federation of Planets is supposed to stand for. Whereas Sati is purely concerned with preserving the form. Picard's a lib, you know what I mean? Like Picard like actually, you know, reads the constitution and like, yes, these are good principles. I believe them. You know, like <laughs> he, he's really in a way about the, the letter and the spirit of the law at the same time. Right. But but what's the what's the 25th century version of a tanky? Like, what, what would you call them? <laughs> yeah. uh, a, uh, I don't know. A clingaboo? <laughs> I, well, I, I don't know. Like, no, that's oh. that's the that's the 25th century uh, uh, fascist. What What's the what's the tanky? <laughs> Version of that. that was like that was like a, the most racist thing you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that section thirty-one did nothing wrong, kind of style. Like, <laughs> yeah, section thirty-one is like the most Soviet aspect of of uh, the UFP, arguably. So yeah, yeah maybe late Latenistas from that one DS Nine episode uh, that we did uh, a couple. You know, you know, it was just a few episodes back. Uh, Homefront Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. The, you know, friends of Admiral Layton. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> the Laytonistas. Oh my God, yeah, they're the, they're the Bonapartists of the Federation. I definitely get some Soviet tanky vibes from Section Thirty One for sure. They're more the uh, KGB than the Cheka. Yeah, that's true. They are more about like international interstellar like, kind of complete impunity. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> do whatever is required to maintain Federation interests. But you know, she's close though. Sati is like pretty close she's close but she just you, you nailed it when you said daughters of the federation <laughs> daughters like, of the united federation of planets it's like super like old-timey cringy like patriotic lady kind of bullshit yeah secular church lady yeah exactly Barf. the megan mccain shit yeah oh my god for real for <laughs> real oh my god yeah after this admiral nora sati is definitely on the hollow view or whatever. Yeah, her career is ruined by the end of this episode. Spoiler, spoiler. But uh, yeah, she ends up on the View. <laughs> With Guinan. <laughs> yeah, Guinan's yeah, like, you are just a bag ass word piece of shit. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it cuts from there to a scene on the bridge where Picard is like totally distracted because there's a show trial going on on his ship. And then the uptight secretary lady walks over and hands him a pad. It's like, you've been summoned to stand before the committee tomorrow. Oh, 900 hours. Yeah. And then it cuts from there. And then he is on the fucking trial. Yeah. Then he's on the stand and he's like, can I, can I just say something? And they're like, no, no, you can't say something. And he's like, actually, I'm a full lib and I know all the charters of the constitution. So I totally can say something. And he launches into a speech about he's, how he's deeply concerned about what's happening here and how this is bad. This is bad, you guys. Like, you don't want this to continue. I think these trials should be stopped. Picard is deeply concerned. Yeah, <laughs> deeply concerned. He's deeply concerned about the incivility of this situation. Yeah. And uh, the response was, Picard, do you remember how you violated the Prime Directive nine times since you took command? Let's talk about that. Hey, you remember that episode with the Romulan spy who pretended to be Vulcan and you didn't, like, blow up their ship? What was the deal with that? In fairness, they're good points. <laughs> Picard's always fucking around. 
Let's be honest. Nine times. <laughs> it's only season four. Nine fucking times he's done the Prime Directive. Fuck's sake. I mean, have you tried just applying to the Prime Directive in everyday life? It's, it's fucking impossible. Like, <laughs> see those suffering people over there? Don't help them. Yeah. Don't help them. And he, the fact that he does as, as well as he as he does in the show, there's plenty of times where he's like, no, we can't help these people. Yeah, and, and like, you know, Dr. Crusher is someone that's a little more like consequentially humanitarianly engaged it's like jesus christ dude can we help these people they're being exploited and he's like i don't know prime directive if i was there i'd be like one of those you know and they do these like wildlife videos (laughs) with a a little penguin is stuck in a block of ice you know and the camera people they break their prime directive and free him i'd let the penguin die every time that's all i'm saying let the baby penguin die then you know you'd be a perfect starfleet captain according to uh admiral nora sati there because you know that's what you're supposed to do you can't help the penguin that would be a total violation of ethics no 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 yeah you're supposed to just be david attenborough with a fucking warship yeah just sitting there watching shit die being like i am the height of ethics what kind of captain would you have to be in order to have not broken the prime directive because out of all the captains picard is like most obsessed with not breaking the prime directive agreed takes it more to heart as his guiding life philosophy so if if he's broken it nine times it must be an unspoken rule that like you can kind of break it you just gotta like be careful and document why and i feel like half the times the prime directive is broken it's not his decision shit just gets out of control for one reason or another and he's like yeah yeah remember how i told you about it it's like yes those uh reports are being reviewed hmm. <laughs> so Worf jumps in and tries to defend picard being like fuck you i was there there was nothing we could do Worf was like half a second away from throwing hands yeah, oh, yeah. well especially after sabin was like uh are you sure it's a good idea to have a son of a romulan collaborator as your security officer and Worf is just about to like make him eat his own heart and picard is like lieutenant lieutenant chill the fuck out it's like, <laughs> yeah I would have let him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially after the next question when they're like, hey, remember Best of Both Worlds where you got assimilated by the Borg and killed a bunch of people? Now, I'm not, I'm just going to kind of gloss over the fact that you got like cybernetically linked into a hive mind against your will. But man, you kill a lot of people. Where were your values then when your whole entire being was taken over by a cybernetic hive mind? Huh, Picard? This scene was so amazing because the music gets all, like, sad and dour and serious. And then, like, you see Picard, like, you know, doing the Picard face palm. (laughs) And you think he's kind of defeated. And then, like, the music changes and it kind of gets heroic and swells. And then he has such a a masterful rebuttal to this. I would definitely recommend, if you haven't watched a lot of TNG, I would definitely recommend you look up the speeches in this episode at a bare minimum. They're, They're very good, worth watching. Oh, yeah. Patrick Stewart is is delivering speeches that, like, the West Wing only wishes it could actually, like, put together. Yeah. Yeah, Fuck the West Wing. Yeah, this shoots, like, quantum torpedoes at the bullshit from the West Wing. (laughs) Like, if that's your idea of utopia, you know, you're pathetic. (laughs) Look to the future, for the love of God. No, but there is, like, a a structural similarity going on between, like, the, the Picard speeches and the... Uh, God, what's what's the president's name? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jedediah Assfuck. Yeah, what? that's good enough. President Assfuck. I was going to bring this up too. I I agree with Tiberius. Like, I I was surprised at how lib 
this episode was watching it again it did strike me as a west wing star trek i'm mean, look that's fair because star trek is pretty lib but at least it's in the future and they solve poverty and it's not like glorifying 90s america after they just fucking cut welfare and it's also being delivered with with such like shakespearean verve that it's mm-hmm. it's hard not to enjoy it you know basically what happens here is picard gives you know a classic j.s mill defense of free expression and is quoting directly from Nora Sati's father, Judge Sati. Basically, you know, first they came for my jokes and then, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, it's the fucking purges, baby. And Admiral Sati just cracks. Like, maybe if there's a weakness in this episode, it's that Admiral Sati is such a poor demagogue that as soon as Picard starts quoting one of her father's rulings from memory and reminding her of the actual content of the Federation's values, she just goes into a rage and just really lays into Picard. You're a fucking traitor. Talks about the values of the Federation. Essentially just starts laying into him. So much so that Admiral Henry, who's the chief of Starfleet security that she called in, basically as like a threat, just walks, just leaves the room. Uh, Her chief prosecutor... Uh, Sabin calls a recess and Henry cancels the hearings like this shit is just over if she was a better demagogue she would have been able to like finesse her way around this and been like yeah but you know you still kill a lot of people as the Borg you know like just keep hammering him for shit that was basically beyond his control she's like a shit demagogue fortunately she basically had Admiral Henry in her pocket before this like he had Mm -hmm. helped her on some of these past crusades we we found out earlier Mm -hmm. and so like the fact that she couldn't keep him on board and she just, like, lost it in this racist tirade, like... Yeah, Picard hit the daddy button and she just posted cringe. <laughs> she did t- post cringe and get cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I think uh, a good analog for her is Megan McCain, because, like, she's <laughs> she's all about that sort of, like, institutional worship of, like, the existing governance structures of society. But if you question it at all, her entire identity is so wrapped up into this institution that to, to question whether what you are doing for that institution is is like in line with the purported values of it you're questioning her very being and then bringing in like the daddy thing because i think a subtext throughout the episode like she is where she is because she had this famous well-connected father right yeah and so like to bring those two things together she's the scion of this like great man who has her entire identity wrapped up into this institution that's greater than herself she has literally given her entire life to this institution she has made it her entire being and so any kind of like questioning of her is questioning of the institution any kind of questioning of the institution is is a questioning of her and that that's why her tirade at the end comes from a place of like wounded emotion he basically said everything you stand for is wrong because you don't actually stand for anything yeah like and there's a conflict between the institution and what it's supposed to stand for and your furious butthole clench around this institution to try to like you know shore it up with a bunch of purges the one thing i would say is like the reason why i think this episode was so lib the fear of falling back into you know an authoritarian society you know now that you have your utopia all that was needed was admiral picard to point out some things (laughs) And that would solve everything. It's like this lib idea. If we, if we just get the information out there, 
you know, if we're just smart enough and bright and say the right thing, material conditions don't matter at all. We'll win in this court of law with our liberal views. That's why this one was like pure West Wing for me. Uh, I was disappointed with the finale. I think the last scene really gives a very different interpretation of this episode. Because basically, this time, like, I knew what this person's weaknesses were. We think we're so fucking evolved. We think we've gotten past the witch trials and the purges and Twitter. You know, we think (laughs) we're so much better than all this stuff. But there's a great quote that's like, those who close themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged. You know, yeah, mustache twirling villain, really obvious to point out. But there's always going to be some do-gooder fear mongers who are going to try to launch a purge. And like, whatever like precious institutions we build are usually just like a couple steps away from being taken advantage of some psychopath and turned into a bunch of show trials. That he's so like sober and grim about this says to me that he's like, yeah, okay, we won this time, but like, this is fucking bumming me out, man. He's confiding in Worf that this victory isn't what it seems to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there are Star Trek episodes where they avert a takeover by a corrupt agent. And it's like, hooray, we did it. All right. High fives. This one isn't one of them. Picard might as well be just like drinking whiskey, like staring out the window like, God damn, dirty apes. Yeah, which is kind of why I, I, I kind of wanted him to, to, instead of like the Mills Enlightenment liberal way of it, I kind of wanted him to go more into like the, the Debs version of that speech. You know, like, where there is a soul in the lower classes, I am in it, that kind of thing. Or, uh, you know, we shouldn't have any Moseses, because they could just lead us right out of the promised land. The, the Federation is so, like, between, like, it's the Constitution in space, and, like, some kind of far-flung post-scarcity utopia. I can't really, you know, can't really conceptualize concretely what kind of institution would solve this problem and you know still be able to tie its own shoelaces it's a society that's like permanently stuck in that transition phase out of capitalism like there are so many vestiges of like liberal capitalism that are in this post-scarcity faux communist utopia and it's so weird that tension between the two you mean like the bourgeois state form right it seems like for the most part the actual value form is overcome So we're not dealing with value still exists in socialism, kind of like Stalinist transition. Right. But superstructurally, it's still highly bourgeois. There are elements of it. um, I think you guys talked about Chief O'Brien and stuff like that. There there are like vestigial elements of class society that that hang on despite the absence of a real material basis for class society still. It's a really interesting look at it. And, And one of the things that I really wish someone would actually like take this property and and really explore is that tension in between how communist it is in its ideals and outlook and how liberal it is in its like actual governance function and and try to like collapse that in in one way or another chief o'brien was right in that there was like big liberal vibes in this episode that i got as well but i think that's always with star trek it's just a little bit more front and center this episode and a little bit less about like ooh, alien of the week It's also pointing to the same problem that we got with Paradise Lost and Homefront, which is these institutions are set up to clench. They're not set up to clench, but they can clench really easily. And the clench is sold as a way to solve the problem, but it is the problem. 
And things aren't even as bad as they were in Paradise Lost. Like, there was no bombing on Earth. There was just a paranoid, lonely old lady who used to be an admiral who daddy was very famous, who's very patriotic, and she's afraid of the yellow peril from the Romulans. So she decides to, like, go on a witch hunt. She wasn't going to get far. There's no way she could get far with this. But Picard was totally right. And, like... The pessimism that you see in, you know, the first two seasons of Disco, but especially in Star Trek Picard, right? Like, because that's in the future from this episode. That kind of darkness has always been there. Yeah. This is just the kind of golden era of the UFP. (laughs) So it isn't in full fruition. But then you fast forward to Picard, you know, because of the collapse of the Romulan Star Empire... You have whole areas that are just, like, left to utter, like, ANCAP chaos. And you have a group of vigilantes who are, like, the only people who are kind of trying to do something about it. Yeah. Without getting into New Trek, like, spoiler territory too much. I think when you watch this episode, you don't get the sense that the Federation is totally going to last forever, you guys. And it's fine. Don't worry about it. There's always going to be a, a Picard there. And he's going to just, you know, say the right thing and hit the right electrocomplex button and, you know, make the demagogue collapse. Like, that this is a fragile institution, that it hasn't overcome its statification tendencies, and that shit could get ugly. Mm -hmm. I kind of appreciate that about this episode, because TNG is the golden, you know, utopian trek, when people are like, man, Star Trek's all, like, depressing now and trying to deal with real-world shit. They've never done that before. That never happened before. I just wish it was, you know, an opiatic fantasy of a better future that's completely unbelievable and disconnected from our time period. No, TNG actually does a good job doing connective tissue to the concerns of when it was aired. And it's not blindly utopian and happy and golden. It presents a path that, like, look, this institution could buckle given the right set of circumstances. And it worked this time. But uh, vigilance is the price we pay, Mm -hmm. being the last line, is something that really explains a lot of Picard's character and the the way in which he's repressive and the way in which he gives service to the Federation is fundamentally different than Sati. Sati is all about preserving the institution, all about lip service. Picard is a Federation man in terms of values, not in terms of just keeping it together. You get the sense that he'd rather see the institution collapse than see it betray its values. I don't think he sees those as different, though. Could you elaborate? Well, I I think Picard would see the betrayal of values as the collapse of the institutions that make the Federation. He's the kind of idealist who would see the goals of the Federation as being the thing that holds it together. Mm. And that if the institution were to were to turn away from from those ideals and goals, it would have essentially like collapsed already. It would no longer be for him the Federation. Yeah, this is in fact his disposition in the future. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I think he, I think he actually says that spi- um, ex- explicitly in in Picard when he's talking about because it's no longer it's no longer the Federation that I I remembered. Yeah, because it wasn't Starfleet. That's why I left Starfleet. That's it. Yeah, which Starfleet and the Federation are like interchangeable in this series. Yeah, it's confusing. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, I was just, yeah. I mean, I think of Starfleet as just the the, the exploratory kind of mil- pseudo military, and 
the Federation as the whole government structure. Then what the fuck is the Vulcan Expeditionary Force? I mean, you know, there's or exploratory individual planets. So you know, and and <clears throat> and species that are allowed some degree of autonomy can have their own, you know, pseudo military exploratory force. But yeah, but it's like Starfleet, like the human one, where human is crossed out and it's just universal. Hey, it's totally universal. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Like. No, no, this is just the big universal one, you know? Like, whatever, you guys. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, don't worry. There's, like, a, a handful of, uh... Yeah, we got some, like, you know, Andorians here. You know, we got we got some, uh... We got a few Betazoids, you know? There's even an Android here. And a Klingon? Wow. Like... Woke. <laughs> woke. <laughs> Meanwhile, 90% of the crew is human. Yeah. Well, we have this guy who's got a cauliflower for a head. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the old ca- cauliflower head and... <laughs> I don't know, Tom, does that, like, do you think it's successfully pushed back on this, like, you know, all we need is a superhero to come swing in? Because I feel like that the, the meaning of that last scene is, is, I don't know, can't be overstated in terms of what the episode is trying to say. It's true, but it, it, it's more the manner in which they were defeated mm. was, mm-hmm. like, exceptionally liberal like as in where the other ones that we've dealt with previously in the past they took fighting and manipulation and battle but this was just like oh i got her with a zinger you know i bet i bet no one ever told thought to actually bring up her famous dad to ryler and in a cross-examination before god that never happened the, from time to time the tree of liberty must be watered with the tears of tyrants <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah i don't know at least it was kind of freudian you know what i mean like he was using uh you know a personal button against her and wasn't just like she my principal stand it was a little more like oh, i'm talking big principles you're betraying your dad like <laughs> i don't know i think the greater sort of threat of instability point is made in the episode and you feel like this was just a lucky break at the end of the day you don't feel like that like that the threat is gone because picard lived his way out of it in the way i feel like the west wing can sometimes you know shine it on and i don't know. there's uh there's an optimism in the institution in the West Wing that you don't even have in this <laughs> futuristic sci-fi utopian show that like this, this is way more realistic than the fucking West Wing. No, that's true. It's definitely not as bad as the West Wing. <laughs> I, will, I will say that. And and the show is over. Like even though they're idealistic and everything, they're always playing on these ways. Everything can go wrong all of a sudden in the system. There's loads of these episodes. Even these, which we would think is the utopian, most utopian of the series, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's constantly under threat. And, you know, utopia is meaningless if there's nothing to compare it to. Or nothing to lose, at least. I don't know. Like, I really like this episode. It does give me, like, a general, like, kind of lib vibe. But I just think it's still overall good. And yeah, I don't think it's because... You're right, Esri. I don't think it's because... Picard lived it up just right, but because he got lucky and knew how to push her buttons, basically. Yeah. The ace in the hole was just, uh, you know, parental shit. And I guess, you know, Picard is uh, studying his uh, critical theory. You know, he's uh, he's up on the psychoanalytical uh, debate tactics. Picard's a man that uh, reads Adorno and knows that uh, liberal humanism didn't have to go in a capitalist direction and maybe... Uh, doesn't see liberal humanism as an exclusively uh, bourgeois phenomenon that it you know there could have been something that reconciled itself to uh, a greater form of communist humanity that came out of it 
Uh, I think that's made very clearly in this episode, and I'm not just larding it on there because it feels good. (laughs) So basically, what we're saying here is that Satie, she did a Jordan Peterson. She got beaten in a debate. Like She went off the rails, started eating meat, (laughs) lost the plot. Yeah. Her her daughter. Yeah. Her daughter banged a Romulan. Like. <laughs> <laughs> banged a Romulan and then started feeding her fucking brain fucking food. Or, you know, some kind of... Neurotropics. Uh, some kind of Neutro- neurotropics. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. And adrenaline from the... Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't some, know. Yeah, some kind of like Gormagander. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, dandruff, you know. What's that one that, that they say like the... That all these like uh, what's the conspiracy theory? The QAnon one, where is it endo? Is it endocrine? Oh, where they're killing the babies for the <laughs> the kids to get their like youthful fucking oh god stem cells that they inject so they can stay alive. Is that is that that's, I think that is actually QAnon. Yeah, yeah, no, QAnon's thing is is the adrenochrome harvesting. Adrenochrome harvesting. That's it. Yeah, yeah, which I think was invented by. <laughs> I want to say, like, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it, it's something like that. I think it was first popularized then, and then it's been sort of in and out of, uh, like, the conspiracy theory world since, like, the, the late 90s, early aughts, because I remember that being a thing back in high school, talking about, like, getting super high off adrenochrome and stuff like that, and it's just like, I think you're bullshitting me, dude, but, like, we're both super high right now, so I guess maybe... <laughs> <laughs> oh the classic that's the, that's their end i'm super high right now dude but i don't know maybe that's the, the, yeah, that's the ultimate foot in the door yeah that's rhetoric that's, it's the watchword of the neo-reactionary movement <laughs> just a lot of meth that's just a lot all the meth yeah <laughs> well what do you say we wrapped it up i think we everybody got their final thoughts in or anybody else want to chime in one more time yeah we good we good. All we right, good. awesome. Thank you to our our single viewer. You're the shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're the best. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. If they say anything else, they're fucking lying. It's only a, that's a bot. You know that'll probably be a well, bot. Well, you know what? It's probably a bot that looks at everything. I officially knight that bot and give grant them sentience. So good for them. Uh, way to be better I, than I can't than believe you would shit on data like that. Come on, yeah, Tom. That's that's robot racist, Tom. It was the robots that blew up Planitia. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> oh Lord. Thank you for listening to Jumpsuit Utopia. Jumpsuit Utopia is edited by Conrad Zimmerman. Buy his pins and audiobooks at pinfultruth.com. This podcast is part of the Emancipation Network. Check out all of our sister projects at emancipation.network. Until next time, set phasers to stand.